Okay, well, Philippians 4, verses 1 through 3, hopefully you've already turned there, but let's look at that together. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of the scriptures, or if, if you're not uh, following that practice, would you just assume whatever posture you think is otherwise appropriate uh, to hear from the King of glory as he speaks to us through his word, beginning in verse 1 of Philippians 4. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, we do thank you, as always, for your word. It never grows old. It never grows lifeless, although it can become old and lifeless to deadened hearts like we're capable of having. And so we ask today that you would cause it to come to life to us, that you cause it to... Uh, shine light on truth to us, truth that we need to hear, life that we need to be given. Would you minister to each heart as we have need today? And even as we maybe even come to this place at this day of the week, just routinely, uh, casually, Lord, would you quicken us and, and wake us up and speak a word from heaven. So speak, Lord, your word by your spirit, through your servant, to your people, for your glory, for our good always, in Christ's name, amen. Well, you may be seated. Pastor uh, Kent Hughes, in his commentary on these verses in Philippians, shares this little poem. He says, to live above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. <laughs> well, I, I think you know how true that is. And that if we put any two people together, um, eventually there's going to be conflict and it probably won't take long, especially in 2020. It won't take long at all. And Christians are no exception to that. We're not exempt from the reality of conflict. In fact, many times uh, Christians can be, Christian conflict can be worse because we, uh, we sort of bring God to the fight with us and we always think he's on our side. And uh, so we bring the whole power of heaven to the, uh, to the argument or the conflict of whatever, whatever sort it is. And that can be you know, that can be vicious uh, and, and terribly misguided in uh, all kinds of ways, depending on how serious people are uh, about that. But, but, but it comes to us as much as it comes to anybody uh, else, and it can be persistent. It can be, um, uh, you know, almost debilitating at times, paralyzing. And so uh, I want to speak to that subject this morning, the subject of conflict among Christians. 
And Philippians 4 here is, is loaded with practical guidance for living, as he said at the outset of this letter, in a manner worthy of the gospel. As a matter of fact, uh, these, this, this concluding chapter, I was going to preach in two sermons, and uh, mainly to finish up at a tidy time right here um, at Thanksgiving before the Advent season and then roll it on to the new year. I scrapped that plan. And we're just going to, this will bridge over into the first uh, two or three weeks of the year because there is so much rich stuff in Philippians chapter 4. If you've been a student of the Bible, you know that's true. In fact, if you haven't been a student of the Bible, let me tell you, this chapter, um, if, you, if you made a short list of, of chapters in the Bible to come back to over and over and over, especially in your devotional time as you're just looking for encouragement day by day and that sort of thing, Philippians chapter 4 would be one of those chapters. It, it makes the very short list in my mind that you could read over and over and over. Very practical and yet very uh, weighty, meaty, substantive stuff. Um, so so that's, that's what the chapter's full of and it and it begins with this short passage um, that deals with the subject of conflict. And we, we can really just glean a few helpful observations right off of the surface of the text. And so I want to highlight some of those first, and then we'll, we'll see if we can get real practical in, in applying this. But the first sort of obvious thing that we see is that good and godly people experience conflict. The godliest of people experience conflict. Euodia and Syntyche are otherwise unknown to us outside of this passage right here. They were clearly well-known women in the Philippian church. They had labored side by side, Paul said with them in verse 3, in the gospel. Um, Competed with him or fought alongside him, as that word would have that kind of connotation, fighting alongside and battling, competing together in an athletic contest. But they they had been teammates there. Uh, side by side in the fight. They were part of the team. And so we don't know in, in exactly what uh, capacities they would have served. Titus 2 tells us, uh, lays out sort of what became a common arrangement in the early church, and that was that the uh, older women discipled younger women, and the older men discipled younger men. That was how a lot of discipleship happened at that time, and likely the case for Euodia and Syntyche. Again, we don't really know uh, that that's the case. We do know, um, as Paul said in 1 Timothy 2, he didn't allow uh, women to teach or exercise authority over men, and so it, it probably wasn't that sort of um, role or office that they, they had, wouldn't have been elders um, as such. But this also, the, the point in saying that is this can't be passed off as just uh, uh, some uh, trivial squabble be- between church ladies. Okay? These are uh, well-known, influential leaders in the church. Godly women who Paul has high regard for. And the conflict between them has become so intense, Paul heard about it in a Roman prison. That's kind of a striking fact, isn't it, if you think about that. I mean, that's, um, it, it's become a big deal, in other words. Like, it, you know, this wouldn't make the news, as it were, if it's just two uh, people in the shadows who, you know, got in an argument uh, about something fairly minor, and now they're, you know, one of them doesn't want to go to the breakfast at the sawmill <laughs> or something like that, you know. It's, 
that stuff doesn't make the news. It happens, but it doesn't make the news, as it were. This made the news. It registered with Paul all the way and run. Uh, this has become significant for this church. So go, good and godly people experience conflict. The second thing we see, again, just sort of right off the surface, is that Christians in conflict should resolve the conflict, and not just sweep it under the rug, not just pretend that it's not there, not just be nice like we do so habitually in the South. Uh, we, we, you know, of course, all that that means, it doesn't mean you necessarily talk nice uh, when you're in private about that person, you just be nice in public. But you know, that, that, is, that is just not uh, among the list of options for Christians in conflict. We need to resolve the conflict. Verse 2 says, um, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree. They're urged or entreated. That, and that word, it says agree here in the ESV. Um, I think in the New American Standard, maybe it is to be in harmony. Uh, the NIV and, and uh, New King James say be of the same mind. That's literally what that word means, to be of the same mind. They're urged to get to that place. And not only are they to agree, but they're, they're to agree, he says, in the Lord. This is one of the reasons leaving it unresolved, leaving it un, un, unaddressed is really a non-option uh, for Christians because we are in the Lord together. We're, we're united with Christ in him, and so we're united, united with one another. And we don't have the option of just letting division remain. You know, as a parent, or you remember as a child living in your parents' house, it's common for parents to say, we're not going to do that in my house, right? Or in this house. You don't bring that kind of stuff in this house. That's, that's just common experience, I think, for, uh, for households. Well, you could say something similar uh, regarding what's, what's appropriate or inappropriate in Christ. Uh, we don't bring that in Christ. We don't, we don't let that remain in Christ. And division would be one of those things, unresolved conflict. So, so we're united in that sense that compels us to resolve and address the conflict. And in the Lord, we also have the resources to do that. We have the, we have the power uh, of the Holy Spirit. We have the power of the gospel. Um, the, the, the truth of what God has done for us by his grace through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and, and what that then produces in us in the way that we live out of a response to that. All of that comes with being in the Lord. And so we're to agree with one another in the Lord. And the third, again, just sort of right there on the surface uh, of this passage, we see that sometimes godly people need help from others in resolving their conflict. You, you notice verse 3 says, uh, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. Uh, the, the true companion here is an unnamed man in the congregation. That is, it does use the masculine noun there. It refers uh, apparently to a man, but, is, but he's not named. So we don't know who that is. Um, he would probably have been known, like the Philippian church probably would have known who he's speaking to. And it's, it's entirely possible, maybe most likely, that it's one of those people that um, 
served in these various churches on Paul's behalf, that they remained in certain places as sort of a, uh, an emissary, an ambassador, a representative of the Apostle Paul. So it could have been somebody like Luke, for example. It wasn't Timothy or Epaphroditus. We know they were uh, soon to come um, to Philippi. But anyway, somebody of that stature, probably a leader, but an unnamed person uh, among them. But they needed someone else to coach them uh, to get that conflict resolved. Help them, true companion. Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. So good and godly people experience conflict. When good and godly Christian people experience conflict, it needs to be resolved. And sometimes we need help doing that. That's the three surface level observations uh, from the text. And with that in mind, I want to just offer some practical suggestions on how we, how we can deal with conflict. You know it's a reality in your life and mine. Most people don't deal with it. Most people don't deal with it, and, and people who try to deal with it don't deal with it in healthy ways. It's, a, it's painful sometimes. It's uncomfortable. It is our natural tendency to lean away from pain. Uh, and so we, we avoid it a lot of times. But, but there's some practical uh, suggestions that might help us do that in a way where, where this seems natural and necessary and it's a positive thing, not a negative thing. And uh, we can learn how to do that well. So I want to touch on uh, uh, three, three things very briefly. There's kind of a lot that I've included here. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch them all briefly. But I want to highlight four obstacles to resolving conflict, four principles for resolving conflict, and then four options for resolving conflict, okay? So, so first of all, four obstacles to re, uh, resolving conflict. One would be retaining the wrong expectations. I say retaining because conflict originates because of unmet expectations or unfulfilled desires. Most of the time, what we expect of other people or um, what we desire uh, from them or with them. Or what we desire otherwise that maybe somebody else we feel like has disrupted. Unmet expectations or unsatisfied desires. And if our, if our expectations go unmet, very often it's because they were unrealistic or unreasonable in the first place. And very often the other person didn't even know we had that, those expectations. Um, but, but, but in many cases, they were unreasonable or unrealistic in the first place, and the conflict will continue as long as we hold on to the wrong expectations of people. So there's some evaluation to be done, really asking ourselves more consciously, what is it I expect from that person? Do they know it? Is this reasonable uh, and realistic? But, that, but that, that is an obstacle. An obstacle to resolving conflict is just holding on to wrong expectations. Uh, the second obstacle would be assuming that you know the other person's motives. You think you know what he's thinking. And you play out in your head how the next conflict is going to go. You, you, you assume you know what he's thinking and it makes you mad the more you think about it. And uh, you've done that. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And I can tell you, one of the remedies for that, especially as you approach conversations with people, having assumed you know what they're thinking or what their motives are, uh, one of the remedies is to ask questions, not make statements. 
You might even ask questions to yourself rhetorically. I can tell you, I can think of a, a, a handful of conversations I went into where I, uh, there was, it was a difficult conversation. I think I know what has transpired here. I'm going to ask a question almost rhetorically just to get the conversation going, almost like an attorney. It's a leading question. I know they don't have a good answer. And then, boom, the hammer comes down or whatever. I ask a question and find out information I did not know that changes the whole perspective on everything. That is to say, I can, th I can think of times where I've assumed I knew somebody's motives uh, and was terribly wrong. Uh, I can't remember a time where I assumed I knew somebody's motives and I proved myself to be right. There, there probably have been those times. Those aren't the ones that stick in memory. Uh, it's the times where I've been badly wrong by that. You can remedy that by uh, asking questions, assuming uh, rather than assuming you know the other person's motives. The third obstacle, um, having the need to be right. This is huge. This is, this is what the big obstacle that stands in the way of resolving conflict a lot of times is you just need to be right. You'd rather be right than be reconciled with somebody. And so um, what you do is you start to build a case for your position to sort of fortify your rightness. And then you go get other people on your side. You convince them how right you are or at least get them to say uh, that they think you're right. Or it's actually even worse than that because sometimes people just don't say anything and you assume by their silence they agree with you. Um, they just want you to go away. But, uh, but, but you, you think they agree with you and they're on your side, but this becomes the, the thing. You're, in order to sort of build up and fortify your rightness, you, you, you make a case, you get others on your side. Sometimes in church, then the, the next step is uh, appealing to sort of policy and procedure to justify your position or to sort of muscle, uh, muscle your way through. So we were talking about conflict among Christians. When it comes to the church in a more... Uh, widespread way this this kind of thing happens there's maneuvering and again if you've been in church for a long time you've seen it happen uh, you get you, you get the right committee uh, get it in their hands because you know how they're decide you know one of your friends on that committee will sort of move things in your direction all that kind of thing but but there's all kinds of nastiness and ungodliness um, that'll begin to play itself out if you just have the need to be right that's an obstacle as long as that's important to you you will remain in conflict you, you've got to slay that uh, beast before you're going to be able to move on. The fourth obstacle, choosing to withdraw and just avoid the issue and the person altogether. So you, you're hurt by it. You know there's a conflict there. You sit on the other side of the church. Um, you don't go to that small group anymore. Uh, whatever the case may be, you don't go to, to Thanksgiving because there's a family member you're, um, you know, at odds with or whatever the case may be. Withdrawing from the conflict, that's an obstacle. You can remain withdrawn and, and live what seems to be at peace for a long time and, and you're really not at peace at all. Um, so those are four obstacles that need to be uh, bro broken down or overcome. Then four principles. If we're going to move forward then, we're going we're to take up this urgent plea, urge you to be of the same mind with one another. Four principles. These come from uh, an author, Ken Sandy, who wrote uh, The Peacemaker. And they're four G's, okay? So I'll hit them pretty quickly here. 
Um, but four principles for Christians that ought to govern the way we live in a variety of ways and the way we handle conflict. Number one, glorify God. That's from Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Other people ought to look on to the way we live our lives in all kinds of ways and God ought to be glorified by the life that we live. And that would include the way that we deal with conflict. It ought to be for the Christian and the Christian community exceptional. And uh, I think for many right now, uh, we wouldn't say that we're exceptionally good, at least, um, at glorifying God uh, through the way that we resolve conflict. But glorify God, the first principle. Number two, get the log out. <laughs> get the log out of your eye. You know that uh, phrase from Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. It's verses 3 through 5. I'll just read verse 5 where he says, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly how to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Again, he set that up with, Why do you see the speck in his eye and not the log in your own? Take the log out of your own eye. Again, this is right up there with, with having to be right the log in your eye is one of the huge obstacles to resolving conflict. Get the log out. Number three, gently restore. We have glorify God, get the log out. Number three, gently restore from Galatians 6, 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Gently restore. That's the goal of even confrontation in uh, conflict resolution. Confrontation has a negative connotation to us. It, uh, it's, not, it's not negative when it comes to a surgical procedure. If there's something inside your body that needs to be removed or sickness that needs to be healed, confronting that is a good thing, not a bad thing. But do so with a spirit of gentleness and keep watch on yourself. The more you keep watch on yourself, the more gentle you will be. <laughs> uh, the more honest you are about what's really inside of yourself. But gently restore. That's one of the principles of good, godly Christian conflict resolution. And then the fourth principle, the fourth G is go and be reconciled. Uh, you know, the, there's this principle of conflict resolution in Matthew verse, uh, chapter 18. In verse 15, he says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. And there's a whole process for what happens if he doesn't listen to you. But the point is, go be reconciled. Go seek peace. See, Hebrews 12 um, says, strive for peace. We, we read uh, Romans 12, 18 a few weeks ago. I preached a message about living peaceably with all men, uh, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That is, that is the mandate for the Christian. Strive for peace, do everything in your power to live at peace, and when peace has been disrupted, Matthew 18 says, go and be reconciled with your brother. So those are four principles that govern how we think about and how we approach conflict resolution. Having uh, acknowledged and perhaps begun to deal with some of the obstacles that would keep us from conflict resolution. And then four, uh, uh, finally, the, the third, the third uh, point would be four options for resolving conflict. That is, ha having uh, 
acknowledge the obstacles, have some governing principles. What are your options? And there, I should say, by the way, on each of these categories, there's more than four things that could be on the list. Uh, I don't have time. I probably don't, maybe don't even have time to do four on each list, but I certainly don't have time to do everything we could say about all of these things. But, but here are some of the options that I think are really pertinent for us to know as far as resolving the conflict. One is overlooking the offense. Did you know that was an option? This is different than withdrawing. This is different than denying it because in those cases, you still, there's still conflict there. Uh, there's still a wound and a breach that occurs. There's still uh, something unresolved that's not at peace between two people. Um, that's something different. But Proverbs 19.11 says, good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Overlooking an offense means you acknowledge the conflict um, and through whatever process, you, you process all of that, you think about all of that, you examine yourself in all of that and pray about all that, and you choose to forgive without any kind of confrontation. You just, you just choose to forgive. Uh, you let it go. I say that at risk of knowing the Disney song is going to pop in the heads of many people. But you just let it go. I mean, that is, a, that is actually a tremendous life lesson to get to the point where there's, there's a lot of stuff that you know you just don't need to hold on to. You don't need to be offended by it. Just overlook the offense. Let it pass right on by. It doesn't mean you're indifferent to it. It just means you've processed that and been able to forgive somebody so you'll continue to clothe yourself in the unforgiveness of that. Uh, overlooking the offense. In fact, there's a, there's a verse in Colossians um, 3 that says, um, if anyone uh, has a complaint against another, forgive them. Sometimes, as Matthew 18 says, if, somebody, if your brother sinned against you, go to him. There are plenty of times when if, if somebody has a complaint against you, or if you have a complaint against somebody, just, just forgive them. Just overlook the offense. That's a good option, um, and, and more people should probably exercise that more often. What we do instead, we still don't deal with the conflict. We just hold on to it. We keep record of the offense. We stack up uh, a, a case history of records of offense. Uh, we've got an arsenal. We're ready to pull out when we need it um, you know, to, to hold something against that person, another charge or whatever. That's no good. That is no good, and that, ha that has no place in the Lord. So, overlook it. Number two, option number two, is praying that God will give you, as verse two says, the same mind. This is a powerful, powerful prayer. Uh, and it's, it's really basic and elementary, but it is, it's powerful. So if you are, for, for example, in um, a, a a, a disagreement with your spouse and you initially there's a little bit of a blow up and you sort of retreat into your fortress as it were you're ready for a fight you 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 close the gate on the fortress uh, and lock it and you're 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 going to the battle stations and you're ready to take up arms you're in that posture okay so so retreated there uh, you let your heart rate come back down to normal and your blood pressure with it and when you, can, when you can bring yourself, when you're ready to pray, 
even before maybe you're quite convinced of what you're getting ready to pray. When, you can, when you're just ready to talk to the Lord about it, which by the way is better than talking to anybody else about it uh, right away. When you're ready to talk to the Lord about it, you pray, God, give us a oneness of mind about this matter. Because you know what you're thinking is, he's wrong. He's a jerk, by the way. He's a wrong jerk. Uh, and and uh, you're convinced of that. But pray differently. It's not change his mind, but give us the same mind. Because if something in me needs to be moved, show me what that is. And then move it. And bring us to a oneness of mind. That that prayer will begin to change the way you even think about the conflict, the way you think about yourself in relation to the conflict, and it'll begin to reveal things God needs to deal with in you, and you'll be prepared to go to the conversation that may follow. Uh, it may be that from there, you're by and large ready to overlook the offense, and there still needs to be an apology because of the blow up that happened, but that prayer is a powerful prayer for the oneness of mind. And you cannot go wrong praying what God told you to do in the first place. If he said, have the same mind, that's a good thing to pray. God, give us the same mind. Option number three is addressing the issue with the other person. This is seeking reconciliation, but it involves some confrontation. It might be uh, that overlooking the offense is just not possible for whatever reason. You're not going to be able to move forward if there's not a discussion about this and some kind, trying to come to some kind of understanding. Um, it's, it's uncomfortable. But, but what you'll find is if you're governed by some of these biblical principles and you've removed some of the obstacles out of the way, which are your problem, not the problem of the other person. And when you've done that initially, you'll find confrontation is not nearly as uh, negative, it's not explosive, it's not emotional, and that kind of thing. Um, it can be a really healthy process. But that's, that's always an option, sometimes necessary. And then finally, number four would be the option of getting help from a counselor or coach. One of the things I, I love about these few verses is that it's right here in this short passing passage of the Bible that says these good, godly, stalwart women of the faith needed help. Because they just, they were, for whatever reason, they were not going to be able to see things from the other's perspective. Or, or they, they weren't going to be able to come to the place by themselves. They hadn't been able to come to the place. I mean, again, this had been persistent enough, it would seem, that Paul hears about it and needs to address it openly in this letter. He names them not as a rebuke, not as a way of public shame, because they are so beloved to him and to the congregation that their, their conflict and the seriousness of it is um, such a threat to the congregation that he mentions that in the most endearing terms and says, true companion, help them. There's no shame in that at all. And sometimes it's just necessary. And it, it doesn't have to be even a counselor getting a counselor per se. There can be other conflicts that are maybe less serious than that, if you will, or, or just of a nature that doesn't warrant a 
professional counselor, it just, it just necessitates that somebody else speak into the situation. You're, you're just button heads with somebody. You're at odds. You cannot see things uh, from the same perspective. You just can't come to this, the same mind about the matter. Then it just needs somebody else who can hear both of you and the facts of the matter or whatever from a more objective standpoint, speak truth to both parties, and even just say, here's what I recommend that you do. Are you willing, maybe the question would be at the outset of the conversation, are you willing to take uh, the suggestion I, I, I give you or the counsel that I offer? Um, but, but sometimes conflict just requires help of a friend. And I don't mean a friend necessarily as we think of him, a personal friend, but just somebody who is mutually your advocate in that situation, who wants the best for both parties or all parties, however many parties there may be. Getting help is a viable option. So um, I've painted there with a fairly broad brush. I've, I've, I've touched those very quickly, but I think if you were to drill down there, if you were to do some study on some of those scriptures, if you were to do some meditation and prayer on some of those obstacles, some of those principles, some of those options, you'll find there is tremendously helpful uh, information and truth there that makes um, conflict less of a daunting thing you, it makes conflict something that doesn't have to be an abiding reality in your life. Conflict will always be a reality, but it doesn't have to be you live with the same existing conflict for a lifetime. You can deal with it, and you can deal with it in a healthy way. And um, it's, a, it's amazing. You can't imagine the good that God works through that process, even as it's painful, because it's, it's often not just the fruits of the, of the restored relationship itself, but all kinds of other things that it does inside of us in that process to make us more the men and women of God that he wants us to be. Well, I, I hope that uh, there is something relevant in that. I am certain that there is something timely in that. If you can't imagine the scenario of conflict among Christians <laughs> right now, then uh, I, I don't know how that's even possible that you're online long enough listening to this message that you wouldn't be aware of the, uh, the sort of ready relevance and timeliness uh, of that. And so may God be gracious as he leads you in um, applying some of that in your own relationships. And may he be glorified as we do so. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, you know better than we do how, uh, how pervasive conflict is in our lives, how, um, how, how much of a certainty it is, how much of a almost constancy it is. It's just a part of being still fallen humans, as we considered uh, in an earlier passage, uh, you know, uh, Paul said he was not yet perfect. And um, we are not either. And one of the ways that that is most obvious is in relationships where we experience conflict one time after another. 
God, would you just be gracious to us? Lord, I pray that you would um, just press this truth of, of this scripture deep down in our hearts and encourage us by it, Lord. Um, I, I'll admit I'm encouraged by the fact that other people like Euodia and Syntyche, who we don't even know, but just godly people sometimes have difficulty getting along. So encourage us by that very fact, the normalcy of it. Um, but Lord, challenge us to stretch ourselves in being more faithful, more obedient, to pursue peace um, by walking through the conflict, uh, through the resolution of the conflict to the other side where we find uh, much more glorious, beautiful, uh, sweet-tasting fruit than we would have even imagined. Would you do that in the hearts of us, your people? We ask in Christ's name. Amen.